0: The 360 on Energy and Carbon podcast, hosted by 360 Energy. Ed Tracy is Vice President Supply Chain and Sustainability at Produce Marketing Association, also known as PMA. He monitors and forecasts trends related to produce and floral supply chain efficiencies and designs and maintains related products, services, and educational events for PMA members. He serves as a staff lead and technical resource to the industry-wide Produce Traceability Initiative and leads all data synchronization and alignment initiatives for PMA. Now on to the episode with Ed. Welcome back, Dave and John. I'm excited to see another new face today. Ed, thank you for joining us as a guest on this podcast.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: We have quite a few questions prepared for you regarding PMA and the impact of climate change and sustainability on the food supply chain. But before we get into those questions, Ed, could you start off by explaining what PMA is and what your role is within the organization?
1: Sure. Chinese Marketing Association is the only global trade association representing the entire supply chain that handles and sells fresh produce, fruits and vegetables, and floral, which is sold at retail grocery stores. We don't handle flower shops and, and things like that and garden centers, but, and that's because they're sold as part of the produce department in retailers. And my role for the last 11 years, well, for about eight years was vice president of supply chain And for the last three years, I've added sustainability. So I'm the VP of supply chain and sustainability. Okay.
2: So Ed, thank you. We're looking forward uh, to your input because as you just described, you've got some heavy lifting and and it's a big area to work in. I'm interested, uh, based on your background, how do you see climate change impacting the food supply chain distribution in North America from, from your lens?
1: A couple ways, probably more than a couple. But one, when you talk about climate change, we're really talking about changes in weather patterns. And in our industry, the weather is probably the uh, biggest friend and biggest foe for our growers to grow fruits, vegetables, and floral, no matter where you're growing. And they have had to be fairly resilient in dealing with different weather, be it hurricanes or unexpected frost or droughts and all of the above. So our industry is quite used to dealing with. They don't like it sometimes, and if you get a couple of calamities, if you will, for weather at the same time, and you know, Florida. Ha- has a hurricane and Mexico has a frost at the same time, the supply uh, goes down, the price goes up and those who have make a lot of money. Those who have not are out of luck and rely on insurance or their reserves. And so that's how the, they're practically dealing with, uh, and I'm not so sure it is changing all that much. It just, it's random. We always have hurricanes and uh, tornadoes in certain parts of the, the country and the world. Some areas are prone to droughts more than others and high and low temperatures, but that's things they've learned how to deal with. Where it's really affecting the business and rather affecting everyone through the supply chain is everyone wants to know what companies are doing, how their business practices are not contributing to emitting uh, greenhouse gases into the environment, companies are being asked to measure their and report their carbon footprint, and so that's, that's the business side besides the growing and it is a somewhat loosely defined area right now everyone's kind of feeling their way in the dark and they want to report on this and and you get major buyers with major initiatives to reduce greenhouse gases and they're leaning on their supply chain all the way back to the grower to report what you're doing and what your progress is and how you're reducing the uh, negative impact in the environment.
2: Is that because the, the retailers are recognizing that, that there is a risk associated with products being delivered on time as or available as frequently as they have been in the past. I recognize weather patterns have always been an issue or a challenge with farms, but are retail chains actually seeing or worried about this risk increasing and having an impact. Is that a factor driving this or or is it just because it's kind of a trendy thing now that people are asking for this? I'm kind of curious Ah, where, where that is.
1: The primary driver prior to COVID was investors are asking for it now they're measuring companies on their environmental and social goals and assessing the risk of the business and putting a value on that consumers are asking and in some parts of the world the government regulations have them doing things and reporting things and and showing a reduction so there's The investor and the consumer side of it are are really what drew the big buyers, not just retailers, but food service operators and distributors and others to be aware of what they're doing to the environment and report back on that. Since COVID and more specifically this year with COVID, people are concerned about the continuity of the supply chain. When we've got 50 plus ships sitting in the harbor and off of Port of LA and goods can't come in, goods can't go out. We've seen a disruption in the supply chain and that is affecting probably less so in the fresh produce. Yeah. We have a number of companies, especially this time of year are the apple and, and tree fruit companies. Okay. Have a huge or had a huge business exporting to Asia and other parts of the world. They're having uh, a lot of trouble getting equipment and getting their, their their product on ships and and where it needs to be. Domestically, we're now fifty percent of the fruit consumed in this country is imported. Much less so, probably uh, fifteen or of vegetables. It shifts around depending on the growing pattern from north to south, south to north. And most of that is handled by truck. And the labor side are issues aside because everyone, not just our industry, is struggling to find qualified labor. Looking at the resilience of the supply chain is... Now, a, a reason people are, they're paying a lot more attention to it. We never had to worry about that prior to COVID. And one phenomenon we're seeing or the result we're seeing is prices to move truckloads have gone through the ceiling. They're an all-time high, not predicted to change. And that, that will almost be solved by money. You can convince people to move your load if you pay them enough money. And we compete with all the other commodities that move by truck, and we're probably the least favorite freight out there. That's why we pay more than anyone. We put a lot of responsibility on the trucking company and transport driver for maintaining, you know, Hitting the pickup time on time, delivering it on time, making sure the temperature doesn't vary more than one or two degrees in the and the ethylene and shock. And there's all sorts of ways you can damage fresh produce, where if you're hauling car parts or cornflakes, if you show up a day late uh, to the retailer, it doesn't matter. They have two weeks inventory on it. You show up a day late with a load of strawberries, you're probably uh, not unloading because they've already sourced that from somewhere else. Now, you, yeah, you know, the trucker owns a load of strawberries. Wow. Yeah. And in the US, the government is now getting involved to it based on what we've experienced. And the federal government have an initiative to look at the resilience of the food supply chain and and what do they need to do, and what we as industry need to do to make sure that we fortify that and we're never at risk of not being able to feed our country and other parts of the world.
3: I wonder if I could come in and ask you something. You might gather from the accent, oh, I'm not from North America. I'm located in the UK and. One of the things we are here. you're talking about the supply chain pressure. One of the things we have here, a lot of it is driven by the, the end retailer. And a, a good example of this, we have Marks and Spencer's who, who do both food and fashion, but they become a big player in food and they've now come up with what they call plan A because there is no plan B and this is, this is, yeah, and this is a requirement to sort of basically make their entire operation more environmentally friendly. Now I've worked with some of their suppliers. And what is interesting is you could take a view. It's really easy for them because they say, right, we're going to clean everything up. They have a look at their supply chain and they say, well, it's all of you guys. So then they're putting ratings onto their suppliers to say, you've got to come up to a bronze, gold, whatever standard. to, to remain being a supplier with us. And I was wondering, is this, is this sort of a happening in North America?
1: Yes. Starts with the major retailers. And one of the reasons is especially and it's a little more amplified with fresh produce that the consumer holds the retailer accountable for the product they're selling and, and. The reason it's more prevalent in fresh produce, produce is bought and sold as a commodity. And brand really is probably cursory in a buying decision as for a consumer. I'll ask any of the three of you on this call can you tell me the brand of the last head of iceberg lettuce you bought? Probably not. No. I can guarantee you may be able to recall the price and definitely will talk to me about the quality. They're the two factors that are priorities. And with consumer packaged goods, it's not the same way. And I have an example I use and from personal situation. Sent to the store to buy companies. I don't eat them. My wife does. I come home with the wrong brand. and I know this is on sale and guess what I'm heading back to the store (laughs) and returning that and getting the right brand where brand is the uh, number one decision factor on certain consumer packaged goods and because it's commodity and consumers don't really they probably prefer when they see a brand of uh, strawberries on the shelf from the retailer. And now oh, that's nice, but they're still going to flip the clamshell over and look at the bottom, make sure that there's no bruised berries and look at the price and make their buying decision. And next three days later, when they go to the same store, there's going to probably be a different brand available for sale of the same product. And because of that, consumers hold the retailers more accountable for the products they buy. And they're asking the retailers. I want to know the story behind the product I'm buying from you. And that's driving a lot of great activity, but the end result of if everyone, the supply chain treats the planet and the people in their company better then we're all going to be and getting that information and reporting that information that's the big challenge and then secondarily once companies assess where they're at and okay you're asking me about everything I'm doing in sustainability and they do a self audit or or inventory then they can see what they're not doing and establish a baseline for improvement and that's where we're seeing major retailers programs is, one, you need to report to me. That's good because my consumers are asking and their brand is at risk if they're buying from a company and selling product that uses slave labor or the environment or does something that the consumers don't like and and will not tolerate. They take it out with their checkbooks or or their purchase uh, habits with the retailer and it's becoming more and more important. And as the risk increases, so the retailer, you're asking their supply network all the way, not just the people they buy from, but the people they buy from all the way to creation. When the product is grown and harvested, they want to know the entire story because that's their supply chain.
3: I think that that's, that's interesting because we we have, I don't know if you have the same terminology that's used sometimes people are talking about from farm to fork and they want to know exactly what what has happened all along. And it appears that this is, this is driven at the retail end and then pushed down towards the producer end. Well, that's how most
1: initiatives work in our industry. And more so in the, in Fresh Roads, I was a grocery retailer for over 20 years. Worked for the number one and number two retailers in Canada and running the warehousing transportation side of it. It's more, you know, how initiatives get completed and what's common in our industry and more in produce than branded products In They're driven and pulled through the supply chain by the buyer. And I call it the power of the purchase order. And if, if you don't do this, when I'm asking, I won't issue a purchase order. Well, that's more prevalent in fresh produce because for every item a retailer sells or a food service distributor buys, they have probably 50 different options of where they can get strawberries from, if not more. Well, if you're talking to Campbell's soup and you can't be as forceful or persuasive with them because there's only one place you're going to buy Campbell's soup from and your consumers want Campbell's. They will want, that's a very a strong brand recognized and will produce. No, it's a different. There's, In any region, any commodity, there are dozens and dozens of suppliers just willing to ship to a retailer. And because of that, they're able to get their wishes, if you will. And and it's not malicious. They they are very thoughtful of what they ask their supply chain, and they help move the entire industry up. And they knew, they do know their role. Uh, retailers absolutely understand in our industry that they can move the industry. Sometimes they're a little gun-shy to do it because they don't want to be viewed as the big, bad uh, company out there. But we have seen some someone use it very positively. Food safety audits was a good example. 20 years ago, no one, no growing operation or shipper f- was doing much with food safety, a formalized food safety program, let alone reporting on it. Retailers got together and said, we need to step up our whole game right through the supply chain. And they started making the requirement of their produce suppliers. If you want to buy or want me to buy from you, I need to have a food safety audit on file, and it needs to be benchmarked against the global food safety initiative, which ensures a uh, minimum standard, an acceptable standard for all audits. And they moved the industry very quickly. And now no one would think of growing and packing and shipping product without having a food safety Program and having that program audited because you won't probably find a buyer for your product. And it's quite interesting because
2: what you described is an extremely competitive industry. And, oh yeah, and and, and because of the, there's got to be efficiencies associated in the industry if you want to remain in business. So I recognize that. You've now added sustainability to your title. And I, I wonder if you can d- define sustainability, what role energy plays in that arena, uh, uh, the way you see it per se.
1: Yeah. The way we have uh, defined it and we had a task force of our members work together and figure out what what role PMA is going to play and, and try to define it. And that was not an easy task. Sustainability is probably one of the loosest terms or defined terms out there. Talk to anyone oh, well, that's my sustainability and ah, yeah, it used to be called good management when I was uh, in the industry. And now we're calling it a sustainability initiative. The way we've defined it is it's business practices and initiatives that benefit the planet and the people on it profitably. The three P's, people, planet, profit. And I do, when I say that to people my age, they get it. When I say it to Gen Z and Gen Y, they kind of shudder at profit. Well, no, profit makes the world go round. Without profit, none of us have a paycheck. And you can do all the great and wonderful things for your people and the planet, but if you're not, adding to your top or bottom line, you're going to put yourself out of business. Profit is not a bad word. And within sustainability, we have various volunteer committees within PMA. And I put together a very high profile sustainability committee and picked all the leaders of in our industry doing great and wonderful things in the world of sustainability. Their first task was working with me. Let's prioritize what areas of focus within sustainability. There are hundreds of, of various areas you can focus on. And what we came down to was in order of priority number one, packaging, which includes single use plastic reduction, not illumination, and recycling. There are at some. For some items, single-use plastics are the best alternative, given that when you weigh quality and food safety and, and everything in, that's where we also focus on recycling. You can't talk about packaging without talking about recycling. The second is food waste and food loss. Food loss is, in our definition, from the time it's harvested and packed until it arrives at the back door of a store or a restaurant. So that's within the supply chain. That's food loss. What waste is from that point forward to the consumer. And we don't interface a lot with consumers directly. We sit on various committees with consumer advocacy groups, but we have no consumers who are members. Our main focus is on the former, on food loss, and that's where uh, majority of our efforts are. On food waste, there are, are other organizations doing a great job in educating consumers. And one thing with fresh produce people, not everyone realizes, just because it spoils doesn't mean it's unsafe. If it's unsafe, if it had a pathogen when you bought it, by it aging and going beyond its prime, it's not going to introduce a pathogen in your uh, fridge. It's either on there or it's not. And unlike other commodities like beef and milk and things like that, where if it does go beyond its prime, if there is a food safety risk with fresh produce, it's of quality experience and yeah consumers don't always buy or or eat what they buy in fresh produce and we'd love you know people to eat everything they buy because the more fruits and vegetables you eat the healthier you're going to be no other commodity can make a claim like that or uh, a group of products they so packaging food waste and loss the third is soil health Without healthy soil, we're all in trouble. And I know the greenhouse guys uh, and girls give me a little bit of uh, heat on that where they are not, some of them do not grow in soil. They do use a different substrate, but leave that aside. The fourth is uh, social responsibility and, and focus on labor. And our main effort in that is promotion of the ethical charter for responsible labor practices that we help the industry put together. And it's basically a a code of conduct um, that says, you're going to respect your people and the laws of the land that you operate in and have mechanisms that make sure you have proper checks and balances in the area of labor. The fifth, and you'll be glad to hear this, is renewable energy, alternative energy, and which includes energy efficiency. We use a lot of energy in our industry, in the packing houses, on the trucks, and on the tractors. And energy is a, a big cost. And we're our members as a whole are always looking to be more efficient with their energy use. Explore new and innovative, alternative energy, such as solar and wind and, and other things. Our sixth is water. We need clean and ample water to grow our products. It's not an issue everywhere in the world, but it is an issue in many parts of the world. And the seventh is the world of carbon and greenhouse gases. And that was just added in probably the last eight or nine months as it's being talked about more and our role. in that is really educating what's available, either best practices, how they can take advantage of carbon markets and just trying to explain that whole unknown world to our members. And our role within those seven areas is we want to inspire our members to adopt business practices and initiatives in these seven areas. Our focus is on these seven areas that sixth affect the planet, the the seventh is affects people and we're doing it through a number of means And our industry works best by learning what their competitor and friend did and so we've curated 11 or 12 case studies across the seven areas were were real practical examples of this company did this and uh, here's how they did it, here's result, and here's how it affected my top or bottom line to the extent that I'm able to share that. We do webinars on at least uh, one year on the seven uh, topic areas. We recently released and through the idea came from my volunteer committee and a lot of the input came from them. One of the challenges our industry has is we don't like to talk and brag about ourselves and what we found in talking to people and doing research and my own experience, and I've been on hundreds of growing operations. And I point out, oh, I like what you're doing with your drip irrigation. That's a sustainable initiative. No, it's not. I've been doing it that way. My father did that, and I think his father started it. And well, no, you've got that's a water conservation methodology initiative. You need you need to tell people about that when they ask. And so what we created was an online assessment tool that they could go through, answer dozens of questions and end result, the output is here's where you have something to talk about that you're doing something in these, one of these seven areas. They're aligned with the 17 UN uh, Sustainable Development Goals, SDGs. It's available to PMA members. They're finding it beneficial, go, oh, wow. I never realized, and it's not a, a quick thing to fell out because you really got to know your company and your practices, but it asks all the right questions and probing questions. And then the second online tool we released in conjunction with that is how to tell your sustainability story. Because uh, we're very good at growing and packing and shipping and selling fresh fruits and vegetables and floral. We're not very good at bragging about ourselves, and so we had another group, primarily marketing people, craft together a online tool that says, "Okay, once you've done the assess- assessment, what you have to share. Now here's how you share, and it goes through all the steps and defining who your yadi- or target audience is and what medium uh, you want to send it out and It's quite a useful guide for our members. Just a quick follow-up, because I'm so glad you mentioned the energy,
2: the water, and the carbon. And that sounds like you're doing some good work there. But from your experience in in dealing with your members, what do you think the biggest challenge they have in actually managing energy, water, carbon more effectively? What do you think their biggest challenge is? What are you hearing from them to actually make a difference in that area? Let me deal with those individually.
1: Energy and what we're uh, finding out about our couple of case studies we have out there. A lot of them didn't think that they could afford doing solar or wind or combinational. They didn't like their energy bill, but they thought that, well, it's only for the very big companies and I can possibly afford to do that. it's not going to have the return on investment and, and it's going to be a non cost and, and it's cheaper to buy it off the grid. And what we're finding is, and that's why we're uh, doing these case studies. No, you can do it. It doesn't have to be a 10,000 acre farm to get an ROI. And, um, we're also having conversations with companies around everything from getting on a proper light bulb replacement program in your distribution centers, reviewing your cycle time of your refrigeration equipment, as we all use it, and considering using some kind of a management system on that, that will pay for itself in months and not years. Yeah, it it was really a, a lot of misunderstanding or not having enough knowledge that you can do these programs. It's not going to break the bank. And they, a lot of the energy programs have a fairly quick return and within 12, 24 months, you're going to pay it off and then benefit from that point forward. Is is it possible
2: they had the mindset that they thought energy wasn't controllable. And now that they dug into it, they realize we can do something is, is that
1: yeah, they look at it as a, almost as a fixed cost. Yeah, doing business? Uh, just and frankly, they're great at planting and harvesting and and marketing and and packing. They all use energy, but that's kind of outside their wheelhouse of expertise. And there was you know they just viewed it as well. It's always going to be that, and uh, I can't do anything about it. And, they complain when the utility prices go up, but that, that's about all they've done. And we've seen some really cool examples out there. We have a recent case study Hardy Fruit in Chile. They put floating solar panels on their retention ponds. Yes. And they didn't have big, huge thousands and thousands of acres. Then they needed to carve off a hundred to put solar panels and they got creative and said, well, I got these huge retention ponds and there's nothing on top of them. And that's cool. And, and because with solar, one of the challenges is they take up real estate and their real estate, they'd rather be planting in the ground rather than putting a solar panel. Yeah. A lot of them across their packing sheds and coolers, they'll put panels on top, but that's not enough to drive their operations. Another one we saw in energy with Limonera, and we have a case study, they became a beta site for Tesla batteries and they used wind and they stored the energy and I think wind and solar, they stored the energy with using Tesla batteries. And they are able to shave off their usage off the peak times where in California, the rates go through the roof in the middle of the day and they're very cheap at night or cheaper at night. And they're able to rebalance that using alternative energy stored in Tesla batteries and very, very uh, successful. And it actually uh, opened, I believe it validated that Tesla could do something on a large scale and and probably help their marketing as well. In the world of water, that's always been an issue in quality of water and supply of water. And the main focus on that is getting efficient, drip irrigation, putting the water exactly where it's needed only what's needed and there's all sorts of development on technologies that are analyzing sensors in the ground that are determining when and how much is the proper amount of water rather than just spraying the entire field and and a fixed amount and everyone's realizing and, and has known the quality water, we got to test our water. We've got to do inline testing and, and constant monitoring. Uh, checking it once or twice a year is probably not good enough, depending on the, on the source. We got mother nature out there, we got birds flying over and dropping things in ponds, and yeah, it's a reality. And we've got to make sure we take precautions against it. And there's a number of filtering and and other mechanisms they can use. And in the world of carbon and greenhouse gases and climate, that's really the unknown. Uh, It's the abyss out there. And we're working, trying to explain that to our members. We have a webinar Virtual Town Hall, I think is their second this year on energy and are on the carbon world. And one of the unknowns out there is the carbon market and how they can take advantage. And most people think, and and some of it may be reality. If there is so much money available, all the row croppers who have hundreds of thousands of acres and are able to do no tillage programs and things like that. They're gonna take all that and there'll be not a lot uh, left for us. Some of our, pro- our commodities, no tillage doesn't work. It's not something we can do. Now, in the orchards, yeah, different world. And we're educating them that one of the best methods is roots that stay in the ground. And you don't pull them up every six weeks or, you know, six months or or every year. And they will be able to take some advantage when that market in this country is very immature and it's evolving and there are different rules and, and control mechanisms. So it's really, we're trying to help explain that and we will be doing A best practice for growers, a guidance document, and, and that'll obviously have to be by type of farming is very different than a berry pad. It's just educating them on what they can do and what works and what are the best practices and that, that is, that's a global issue. There are some parts of the world that are more advanced in that and have more advanced programs and funding and education available. This country, we're probably on the latter half. We're behind the, probably the average of the world, even our neighbors north in Canada, they're much more advanced in the carbon world and understanding what can be done and how to take advantage. So
2: you, you raise a very good point because I, I think their listeners may, uh, a lot of listeners would be purchasers of carbon credits, but your, your clients could be actually not only possibly purchasing, but they also could be selling yeah. carbon credits as well. So you've got, you've got a, you've got a great opportunity, even uh, introducing buyers to sellers in your business too. That sounds like that's a great opportunity for the association to, to, uh, Initiator help out on that as far as yeah, and
1: yeah. Our role is really educating them of what can be done and then how they go about taking it, uh, advantage of it. And yeah, and, and that's still evolving. And one of the questions I get asked, well, how can I be, how can we as you know, uh, industry ensure that we're not double or, or people are not. Selling the same credit twice, you know, and yes. and there's a bunch of bright people, technologists working on that, and it's still not. Uh, I don't think the work in that area is finished yet. They'll figure it out. Sure.
0: That's all for today's episode of the Three Hundred and Sixty on Energy and Carbon podcast. Stay tuned for part two of this conversation next week. Make sure to check us out on our website at 360energy.net and follow us on LinkedIn at 360 Energy Inc. Tune into our podcast on Apple Music and Spotify by searching the 360 on energy and carbon. You can watch the video recording and subscribe on YouTube at 360 Energy Inc. See you next week.